Good morning. This morning we have two scripture readings, and they come to us from Colossians 3, 1 through 11, and 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Good morning. Um, before my message today, I want to piggyback on the announcement for the retreat. Um, because we want everyone to go. And so we canceled service that Sunday because we want it to be a weekend of worship. And so if this is going to be your first retreat or you've been a while, I just want to kind of cast some vision as to what we think that weekend is going to be about so that you can kind of craft in your head another reason to go um, and not avoid it. So uh, there's kind of been two images that have come to mind um, around the retreat. The first is that of a wedding reception, uh, that at a wedding reception, there's this meaningful moment that we all gather around, we connect, it's full of joy and a lot of dancing, um, and our hope is that the retreat feels like that, a weekend of celebration, a weekend of joy, but filled with meaning and purpose. And the second kind of environment that's uh, come to mind is that of a workshop environment. We've been talking about this year being a year of equipping. And so there's two verses uh, that have come to mind to explain kind of what we hope happens and the content of the retreat. So I'm going to read those for you. They're going to be on the screen. 
It says, For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? That phrase, reign in life, is something I mentioned in our first sermon of the year, and it's something I want to see happen in every one of your lives, that you feel strong with everything you're facing, and your strength comes from a confidence that is found in your faith. And that phrase is also very ambiguous and somewhat vague, and so there's another passage that came to mind this week that explains it a little bit better in 2 Corinthians 3, 4 through 6. It says, such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. See, my hope is that everything we do that weekend will equip you to be capable and competent, that you come back into the city and everything that you're returning to, you feel more powerful to face and to deal with. Um, And so over the next couple weeks, you'll hear some personal testimonies about kind of how God has used the retreat in people's lives uh, as a way to, again, motivate you to be there because we want everyone to sign up. But if I'm going to ask somebody else to do that, I should do that too. So I've been on two all-church retreats. Uh, The first uh, felt like that wedding reception vibe for me, that we had only been at the church for around nine months, and so we'd never been on a retreat Uh, But that weekend was filled with a lot of fun and a lot of joy, and it basically accelerated the connection process between us and the rest of our community. Because that weekend, you discovered that I really have two passions, uh, basketball and dancing, Um, and I'm a little bit too passionate about basketball, Uh, but it was a great time, and it was a way to establish friendships and relationships that felt as if they had gone on for years, merely in a weekend. And so connection is what happens during this weekend. But the second was uh, this last retreat, and it was a powerful spiritual moment for me. It's something that kind of awakened me to what God might want to do in my life, even though I had limited what he could do. Uh, And that was the case for a number of you, that it was spiritually powerful, um, teaching and training and kind of giving you a new lens by which you could see your life. Uh, And so that's what I hope for for you. And so um, on top of that, we get to celebrate the leap year together, which only comes every four years, so don't miss out. Um, So sign up today, lowermanheadandchurch.com backslash retreat. I'll send out that link tonight. If you are not on our email list, find Marcy afterwards so you get that. All right. So we're going to continue our upgrade series, and the title is called New Image. It has to deal with issues of identity really answering the question, how do you see yourself? What's your vision for your life? And how does it line up with God's vision of you? How God sees you, what he designed for you, what he wants for you. And so I want to pray for us, and then we're going to hop into the message. Let's pray together. Father, you have a dream and a design for every person in this room. And so I ask that by your spirit you would come into their imaginations and overtake them, that our little images of ourselves would be defeated so that we could walk into the image you have for us. And Jesus, the the vision that I had just as worship was happening was that of you with your disciples before you left them, 
when you called them to do something they had never done before, but then you breathed on them the Holy Spirit. And I just pray that you would take over my words, that they would feel as though they are wind and breaths of freshness upon this people, so they could feel powerful and strong to walk into your new life for them. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. One of the ways that I hear from God is through music, and I don't mean just worship music, I mean the music that I enjoy. Um, That came across really wrong. (laughs) Um, Worship music is powerful, I listen to it way too much, Uh, usually there's one on repeat every week for me, but... Uh, there is a natural genre and kind of music that I love and that moves me. And you have all had the same experience, but you haven't attributed it to God trying to speak to you. You talk about in terms of how it kind of connected to your thoughts or your heart or how you're feeling in the moment, and it was very powerful. There are even certain songs that when they play, they take you back to imagery. Um, the, the German philosopher um, Friedrich Nietzsche Uh, described it uh, really well. Even though he said at one point, God is dead, he described it in very divine terms. Even saying that without music, uh, life is a mistake. Uh, He would go on to describe it this way. He said, God has given us music so that above all, it can lead us upwards. Music unites all qualities. It can exalt us, divert us, cheer us up, or even break the hardest of hearts with the softest of its melancholy tones. Its principal task is to lead our thoughts to higher things, to elevate, even to make us tremble. The musical art often speaks in sounds more penetrating the words of poetry and takes hold of the most hidden crevices of our heart. Song elevates our being. It leads us to the good and the true. If, however, music serves only as a diversion or a kind of vain ostentation, it is sinful and harmful. We all have those moments where songs cause us to transcend, and for me, that happens with Ed Sheeran and Top 40. (laughs) Naturally. Um, His song, Beautiful People, is something that I heard in December and immediately felt like God was speaking to me. (laughs) Uh, The lyrics are really powerful. Um, He's speaking to uh, what he experiences as an L.A. culture, uh, that sounds very familiar in New York, in Tribeca, of this projection of a lifestyle that is uh, outwardly okay, but doesn't have any power to change and satisfy our inward reality. Um, he gets to the point where he says, this is my only fear that we become beautiful people. Drop top, designer clothes, front row at fashion shows. What do you do and, what, and who do you know inside the world of beautiful people? Champagne and rolled up notes, prenups and broken homes, surrounded but still alone, let's leave the party. That's not who we are, we are, we are, we are. <laughs> It's just how the lyrics go. (laughs) Who we are, that song, um, it communicates this idea that there is an image that we have of ourselves. 
And so the way that we clothe ourselves, the way that we live, uh, often is trying to express that to the world around us. Or we want the world to receive a projected image of us, that we might be accepted, that we might be respected. And so we live in this image-conscious world. And the question around identity is, is the way you're living and how you're projecting really who you are? Or is it some construct that has been projected on you? Or that at one point you embraced and it became your default, but you never really assessed, is it satisfying? Is it what God has designed for me? See, there's a gap between this design of God that we have and the, really, the reality of how we live. And so God has a picture in mind of us, an image. Here in this passage, in 2 Corinthians 5, it says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Literally, that you have been made new as the person that you are, renewed spiritually in every way by God. In Colossians, it used the language that you are to put on your new self. And so as we kind of look at this new self, new creation, new image, a newness that God wants to bring into your life, it has everything to do with how you see yourself and then connecting it with the way God sees you. That's really what we've been doing over the course of the last nine months. When we talk about issues of freedom and healing, what we're trying to do is get rid of all of the things that prevent you from living your true identity. For living the way that God planned and intended you to be, that you'd no longer be held captive by addictions or sins or patterns that hurt you, but that you might be free to walk in wholeness in the life that God has for you. And that healing would come and any pain and wound that has hit you, preventing you from walking in that would be removed. Then you'll know who you are and what you're supposed to do. And so as we unpack this, I really have three points I'm going to spend most time on my first point, which is idolatry distorts your image. Idolatry distorts your image. I'm going to spend my most time on that because the language of idolatry is somewhat vague, confusing. It's not language that we use, but it's the language of the scriptures, and it's the heart of our main issue. See, in that passage, it talks about these sinful behaviors, and it lists Greed and lust and evil desires, slander, gossip, lying to each other. All of these surface behaviors. But it says that the source and what it amounts to ultimately is idolatry. And it says that distorts who you were intended to be, so you must put it aside if you're going to walk in your new self. And I use the language of distorts intentionally because distorts communicates that there was an original design that has been messed with. And the very beginning of the scriptures says that God made you in his image, that you were the direct reflection of who he was, that he bestowed upon you design characteristics and attributes. He put in you a conscience that you would be defined by your pursuit of beauty and truth. That he put eternity in your heart so that you wouldn't be satisfied with anything but him. But in the the beginning story, it tells us of how we all do the same behavior of rejecting God and his design. And he says, the result of rejecting God and your rebellion of sin is that you reject your true self. That you not only abandon God, but you abandon your design. 
And so it begins this pattern of distortion. And that is called idolatry. Idolatry is the worship of anything other than God as ultimate in your life. Let me say it again. It is the worship of anything other than God as ultimate in your life. And I say anything because we can limit it thinking it's about bad things instead of making good things ultimate things. And so we lift them high and worship is just taking your heart and your emotions and your thoughts and attaching them to something other than God so that your worth or how you feel in any given moment is the result of how that thing is related to you in your life. And so idolatry has this power and this effect of taking over our priorities and our emotions. At the core, it is the thing that we desire most. In addition to being an Ed Sharon fan, um, I'm obsessed with Harry Potter. Um, I'm a self-proclaimed Gryffindor. <laughs> and I love to reread Harry Potter over and over again. One of the most profound uh, images given in the Harry Potter series is the mirror of Erised. Erised is desire backwards. Helping you out there. The magic of the mirror is that when you stand in front of it, it reveals your greatest heart's desire. And so for Harry Potter, who lost his parents, his greatest desire was to know his family. And so as he stands there, he sees all of his family and him a part of it, attaching his identity to where he comes from, this wrestling that has marked his entire life. For his best friend, Ronald Weasley, as he stands in front of the mirror, he sees himself victorious, holding the house cup as the leader of the entire school. As one of the youngest in a large family, he feels forgotten, unworthy, lacking in great achievements that his brothers and siblings have had. And so that's his heart's desire, to be accepted and respected. And so it has this magic of revealing ultimately what we want. That is idolatry. That if I was to ask you, what do you desire most, more than anything in this world, it begins to reveal to you what you worship, what you're pursuing. And like the mirror, it is often captured in imagery. Idolatry often conjures up to mind little statues, because those statues were then to depict some idea behind it that if you worshiped and offered your emotions and offered your possessions to them, then you would receive from that mini God what you wanted. Idolatry is still wrapped up in our imagery. But right now, it is ideas of who we will become, of what we need most in this world more than anything. And Dr. Keller, um, a pastor who pastored in this city for many years, um, he wrote a book called Counterfeit Gods, and he said that we focus, focus so much on the surface that we don't really get to the source or the root idols that we're ultimately after. He reduced them to four main root idols, and I, I think this week I felt like there needs to be a fifth just in our current age. The four that he identified were that of power, comfort, control, and approval. Power and the longing of influence or recognition. Comfort, the longing for pleasure. Control, the longing for everything to go according to your plan. Or approval, the longing to be accepted or desired. Which of those do you resonate with? Which of those defined your last week or your yesterday? 
The fifth that I would add to that is I think in our age, there's an element where our pain can become an idol. Not that we would worship it or pursue it. See, those others are aspirational idols. This is just an inhibiting idol because we worship it in that it defines how we think and see the world around us. And we just want people to know our pain and then feel our pain. And so if they don't recognize our trauma, we're going to make sure that they see the trauma and how we treat them. And in all of these idols, we have to press in and recognize how they affect the way that we project and express ourselves. But I need you to see that the power of the idol is not in the sinful activity, but it's in the secrecy of the sin of your heart. The power of idolatry is in its secrecy, not in its expressiveness. Here's what I mean. With greed, that might drive you to not be generous, to not give to God what he asks, or not give to those in need. No one is going to see the effect on your bank account but you. But what ultimately begins to happen in your greed is when you don't obey and become generous the way God designed you to be, it creates a cycle where your greed is not just manifested in how your bank account goes, it's in how you treat other people and how you try to take from them instead of give to them. If you're not, another way to look at it is he says, do not lie to one another. Well, a lie happens first in the heart that says, I can't really trust this person with the truth. And it might hurt them. So what's a little bit of a white lie to make them feel okay and not think poorly of me? So what goes on in the secrecy of our heart begins to separate relationships and begins to snowball where you have to craft this image to keep up. And so it ultimately manifests itself elsewhere. But its power is found in secrecy. Because what you are telling God and the world is they can't see the real me. They can't take it. But what you need to know is that God sees it all. God sees the idolatry of your heart. Now, people like me, standing on a platform or the pulpit, can use that to cause fear in you. Be afraid. God sees your sin and he will punish it. That's not what I'm trying to say though some of you may need to hear that. (laughs) What I'm trying to say is God sees the idolatry of your heart and it breaks his. He sees the depth of the darkness that you try to hide and he's in pain knowing that he never designed you to suffer in that way. There's this passage in Ezekiel chapter eight where um, the prophet is called by God into this image And he digs into this dark, deep hole in a cave in a private room and he sees the priests of God who are meant to worship God himself, worshiping the idols of their day. And in the message, God is broken by it. He is hurt by it because he knows that that will not lead them into the image that he has designed for them. And the same is true for you. That if you are longing for pleasure, he's designed that longing And you are putting your demands on other people to meet that pleasure, but only he can deliver on that pleasure. That if you're longing to feel secure and comfortable in that measure, the only place that you can find that is the protection of God. That instead of power 
being something that you try to push others down for. He wants you to see that he can offer the promotion that you need. And then once you get it, that you don't need to use it to oppress others, but bless others. I think that's so needed for right now. Look at the political discourse of our day. This longing for power and the way and the system that has been created to achieve it. The system that has been created to achieve power is destroy the one in power so that you can then walk in that power. Being blind to the reality that because you've created that system, guess who the next one to attack is? You, if you ever achieve that powerful spot. Instead of recognizing that God is the one that exalts, he's the one that promotes, he's the one that lifts high. And if he does it, you can walk humbly in the power and position that he gives you so that it is no longer obsessive about you and what you want, but is genuinely about the good of others. See, idolatry is all about demand and delivery. We place demands on this thing or person or event to deliver something it was never designed to do so. And God is the only one that can deliver on those demands. And so our idolatry becomes our coping mechanism and a means to an end. Because we want to tell our souls, you're okay, you're doing the right thing, you matter. When God in Christ is the only one that can provide that for you. And so if the power of idolatry is found in the secrecy of our sin... The victory is found in the confession of our sin. In Ephesians 5, it says that you are children of light, therefore no longer walk in darkness, but walk in the light. It says that when you expose your sin, you expose your idolatry, your longing, it no longer has power over you, but it is defeated by the light. And so you no longer have to conceal your sin or your idolatry or your pain. You can come and confess it. And find the comforting power of God to set you free and to heal you from how it has distorted your image. And so point number one is that idolatry distorts your image. I did a really terrible job organizing my notes. Give me a second. There we go. Point number one, idolatry distorts your image. Point number two, Christ is the one who restores your image. Christ restores your image. When Christ arrives, the message of the scriptures is he is the exact representation of God himself. Once again, the image of God walking the earth. That he takes on flesh to dwell amongst us, to demonstrate for us what it was intended to be, the divine reflection of God walking through the world. And he did so, it says, to be tempted in every way you were, to be tempted to worship other idols like you. Satan comes to tempt him with power. Come and achieve it outside of God giving it to you. But he rejects it. He tempts him with provision. Come and pursue it outside of God providing for you. Take it upon yourself and in your control. But he says, I will not put God to the test. I will trust him. He is tempted to achieve approval beyond that and worship beyond God's design. And he rejects it in every way in order that he could be your representation so that as the scriptures say, he could then die for your idolatry, to set you free from it, to atone for it, that in his resurrection, you could be fully free 
as your lifestyle and your new image. In the passage we read in Corinthians, or Colossians, it says, If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Elsewhere in Ephesians, it says that's where you are seated now. See, the way that Christ restores your image is he gives you a positional righteousness. That's the theological phrase, a positional righteousness. When he says that you are seated, he says that's where your seat is fixed. It no longer has to be worked for or achieved. It is given to you. That if you place your faith in Christ, automatically you are seated in the heavenly realms as his heir, as we talked about last week. That is your identity. And he says you are no longer defined by your sin or your past or your mistakes. You are defined by the righteousness of God in Christ. It is given to you. Here's what that means. Christian, you are a saint, no longer a sinner. Which means you cannot say, I'm just a sinner, I'm gonna screw up. That's not how God sees you. So when you say that to yourself, you diminish and distort your image to the sin that you love, that has been hurting and harming you. No longer walking as the saint that has victory over that sin. If you're ever going to have victory, you have to change the way you see yourself to, see, to let God's definition of you define you, that you are a saint and not a sinner, which means that you are protected and no longer threatened by the pain that's going on in this world. So you don't have to walk in fear as if it's going to fall away from you, but God, your Father, sees your needs before you have them and wants to give them to you. Here's one massive shift that has occurred in my mind in terms of the dreams I have for myself one day. During the giving series uh, back in November, I had the privilege of meeting with a spiritual director of mine from college. He was the camp director where I worked, and he was in town uh, just for a week, and I had coffee with him. And I was just asking him about his life and his kids. His kids were younger when I was there, and so I was their counselor. I knew them. And he was telling me how they've all gone to college now. And he was telling me about their lives, and he said, but that's not the most beautiful thing about them going to college. Let me tell you this story. And he tells a story about how his oldest, before he was about to graduate and go to college, how he had a family come to him. And he said, I know that you've been in ministry your whole life, and that you haven't been able to pay for college for your kids. We want to pay for the tuition for your oldest son. Wow. Wow. And he said, but here's the deal. He did it for every single child I have. Four kids. You do the math. <laughs> now, I heard that story from a needy identity. Woo, I hope God does that for me. <laughs> right? All of us want that miracle provision where it just comes through in this supernatural way. But as I was telling that story in community group, my prophetic wife said, what if you didn't see yourself merely as the beneficiary, but you could become the benefactor? That if you are an heir of God, able to be so generous that he gives back to you 10, 30, 100 fold, that you might be the one one day to turn and give to someone some ridiculous gift. Oh, man. See, 
I and you distort our image to belittle the possibilities of what God could do. Not realizing that if God can raise Jesus from the dead, what can he not do in your life? See, idolatry distorts our image so that we become so small in our possibilities and the opportunities that God has for us. But Christ comes to lift us up, to restore us, to give us a new power, a new identity, a new opportunity so that our image of ourselves and our possibilities can be changed. They can be different. So you're not defined by the current circumstance you're living in because God, in the midst of those trials, can give you triumphs for a greater future. That as he sets you free from these things, you can become the one that leads them to freedom. That God has this image for you that you may not see right now. As the scriptures say, we can only see in part. But when we see his face, it says we will see in full and will be fully known. That that is what Christ has come to do, to restore our image. And this is what makes Christ the best idol. See, if idolatry is what distorts our image because we worship things we were never meant to worship, that if we make Christ our idol, the thing of our greatest affection, the thing of our greatest thoughts, and set our minds on him, it restores our image. So point one was idolatry distorts your image. Point two is that Christ restores your image. And point number three is it is the spirit that powers your new image. The Spirit powers your new image. See, we can hear this idea of new imagery and what God wants for our lives, and we can turn it into old behavior of achievement. But you and I do not need another checklist of things to do. It's not even the end of January, and I'm exhausted by the amount of activity that we have to do, just like all of you are. This new image is not something that you achieve. It is something that you receive. Let me say it again. It is not something that you achieve for yourself. It is something you receive for yourself from God. Look at the language of the scriptures. He says to set your mind on things above, to put on the new self. It says that God makes his appeal through you. Christ is all and is in all. He comes to fill you. And the promise of Christ is that's what the Spirit does in your life. That if you believe in Him, He says, it was so much better for me to go away because then the Spirit can come. And it is the Spirit that leads you into the truth of what I said. It is the Spirit that convicts you of the sin in your life and it lets you see the kindness of God to lead you to repentance. It is the Spirit that frees you to confess what you have once concealed. And it is the spirit that gives you power to walk in the newness of life. It is only by the spirit. It is received, not something that is achieved. Uh, There's been a a lot of discussion about the changes in the royal family. The great monarchy of England. (laughs) which is so funny because it has no political power, (laughs) but it has so much influence. I've always viewed it like Disneyland with an accent. (laughs) And there is this like massive amount of analysis and hysteria because Harry and Meghan are leaving their inherited identity. (laughs) 
and they're leaving the power and the influence and all that comes with it. How dare they, right? Because what has been projected on them is an image that they don't want to live under anymore. It is something they received, but it was not something they wanted to live out. They wanted to step into something new. This is the work of the Spirit of God. It is to free you from an identity that you have received either from sinful behavior or from family influences or from some image in your life to give you the freedom to leave that. No matter how fearful it may be and unknown to walk in or how much people think you shouldn't, but that you get to walk in this. Now they have to figure it out. I think they're going to be okay. But the same is true for you. You have to walk into this new image, but you're going to be okay if you are walking with the Spirit of God because it can give you the direction, it can give you the power. And in this new imagery, you're already given identity that you and I both know you're not living. (laughs) I'm not living it either. He describes us as reconcilers of the world to God. We have trouble doing that. It is, describes us as ambassadors making God's appeal to others through us. But what you need to hear is that in the middle of us in this process of what we once were to what God is making us into, he's not waiting to complete the process before you live out this identity. Janice used the analogy of the before and after makeover. You notice they never show you the full process of the makeover? Because <laughs> the renovation is way too expensive and they want you to think you can do it yourself, right? <laughs> too much ship laugh, right? <laughs> See, God is not waiting for you to be fully healed and free for you to walk into your identity. He has already given you the righteousness. With the position that he's given you comes the power that you need. And the Spirit is saying in the middle of the process, you can live out your purpose. That your identity is bestowed upon you and you can begin to do it. You don't have to wait until the full and final completion. Which is really good news for you and it's good news for us as a church. It's good news for you because we have pressed in on some really heavy issues of family influences and dealing with your pain, dealing with your healing and saying, do that. And our tendency is to turn and go, well, I just have to focus on this now. I can't help others. But God is saying the way that you help others is by living in the middle of your Christ-given identity, not defined by your pain or not defined by your victory, but defined by Christ himself. And the Spirit allows you to present Christ to them, not your completed package. And the same is true for us as a church. We are not quite who God wants us to be, but we are not who we once were. And here in the middle, the good news is that we can be a part of God changing this city and God changing this world through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I started this message talking about the power of music. And the same is true for us living in this new image. This is the beauty of worship, which I do like (laughs) and I do enjoy. 
is that you can worship your way into your new image. That the songs that you and I sing each Sunday, they do this work of fixing our eyes on Jesus, which is all that the scriptures have asked us to do. He says, set your minds on Christ. Set your heart on things above. Nothing does that quite like worship. See, instead of us trying to do self-discipline and morally beating ourselves up to the point of being like Christ, he simply says, worship Jesus, fix your eyes on him, and let that do the work of renovation, of changing you into the image of Christ he's designed for you. That he will lead you as you follow him. Uh, I was, there's a number of verses in the scripture that talk about singing a new song. And I was looking at those this morning and there's a promise from the prophet Isaiah of what he will do through Jesus for you. And I wanted you to hear God's promise to you that he will lead you into this new image. He says, thus says God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. He says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon and from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring up, I tell you of them. And then this is his one command. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the end of the earth. Your new image comes from worshiping Jesus, the image of God. That's all that he asks so that you receive all of his promises in your identity. Let's pray, and then let's worship Christ our Lord. Jesus, breathe your spirit and your presence upon this place. Reveal the idols that we have concealed so that in confession we can be free and made whole again. Jesus, let us look upon your face as we sing that our mind would be captured with a new imagination to see you on your throne and to believe that we sit there with you. That our new identity found in you is something that we can see in our lives today and tomorrow in ever-increasing measure. Father, reshape our picture of ourselves to match yours. By the power of your spirit, I pray these things. Amen.